the first judge that was raised up to deliver, deliver Israel was a man called Othiel. And he was raised up to deliver the children of Israel out from the king of Mesopotamia. Nathaniel, there in verse 9, he was the son of Kenaz, who was Caleb's younger brother. And God raised him up. These judges, the Lord raised them up. They're all pictures of Christ, who is our deliverer, who is our salvation. Because we are oppressed. The Lord allowed these wicked, vile kings, these nations that weren't conquered. Mesopotamia wasn't even part of the land of promise. It's from way over in the east. It's from over where Laban lived, where Abraham was originally from. But today we're going to look at a man the Lord raised up as the judge, as the deliverer. His name is Ehud. And the children of Israel, I want you to see this, did evil again. It didn't say the children of Israel did evil, but they did it again. Don't forget, this is not speaking of somebody else. This is speaking of us. This is, this is how you could describe us every day. And we did evil again. We doubted again. We were filled with unbelief again. <clears throat> They did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord strengthened Eglon. This is the king of Moab. The Lord used him. He was the Lord's instrument to chasten Israel, chasten his people. He was the king of Moab against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek. He, he got these other men, these other people, these other tribes to join in with him. And when he did, he went and smote Israel. And he possessed the city of palm trees. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised him up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man, notice this, he's left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. And Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubic length. And he did gird it under his raiment, under his right thigh. The reason he wore it under his right thigh was because if you were going to draw with your right hand, you would reach over and grab it. But he can't do that, as most men could. He had to wear it on the right side because why? He's left-handed. He made him a dagger and put it under his raiment, concealed it on his right side. And he brought the present unto Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he himself turned again from the quarries that were in by Gilgal. And he said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, Keep silent. And all that, all that stood around the king, they went out from him. So it's just Ehud and the king Eglon. 
And Ehud came upon him as he was sitting in his summer parlor, which he had for himself. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. God's given me a message for you, king. And he rose up, Eglon rose up out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his left hand, and he took the dagger from his right side and thrust it into his belly. I heard this message entitled many years ago, Lefty Slew Fatty. And as Don would put it, Lefty Let Fatty Have It. And the halt, or the haft, also went in after the blade, and the flat and the fat closed upon the blade so that they could not draw the dagger out of his belly, and the dirt came out. And Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the door of the parlor upon him, and he locked them. And when he was gone out, his servants came, and when they saw that, behold, the door of the parlor was locked, that they, sure, that they said, Surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. And they tarried till they were ashamed, and behold, he opened, opened not, behold, he opened not the door of the parlor. Therefore, they took a key and, and unlocked the door, and they opened, and behold, there laid Eglon, Eglon was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped with, while they tarried and pressed beyond the quarries, and escaped unto Zerath. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew a trumpet in the, in the mountain of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them, and he said unto them, Follow after me, for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And they went down after them and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of the Moabites at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty, all valiant men are all fat, and all men of valor, and there escaped not a single person. And Moab was subdued that day under the hand of the Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. <laughs> Seemed like an odd story to deliver a nation with a dagger. A left-handed man with a dagger delivers the children of Israel. Let no flesh glory in his sight. He chose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Let no flesh glory in his sight. What we see here in this text and what we see all through this book of Judges is this reoccurring theme. The children of Israel, the children of God, did evil in his sight. And when this would happen, he would raise up these nations to afflict them. I think, read somewhere, that they were under the reign of Eglon and the Moabites for 18 years. And we read that and we don't think much about it. That, that's a long time, 18 years to be oppressed. We read here that they took a, sent a tribute to him. That could have been they were paying their taxes. It was whatever the king decreed they had to pay. They were his servants. And then when they got sick of it, when they were tired and needed rest, they would cry out to the Lord. Unless God enables us, we will never cry out. It's not that God 
just hears us when we cry out, and that's the reason the Lord hears us. He hears us for Christ's sake. He puts us in our, the dust on our face, and we cry out, and he, he raises up a man. He raised up the Lord Jesus Christ, and he raises up men in his church to deliver his people. Listen to this in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. We can see sin abounding, but where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Why didn't he leave them? He didn't have to deliver them. He could have left them right there. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin reigned, now grace reigns. Even though the children of Israel are in the promised land and have received all the benefits, all the benefits of grace, they are still under a conditional covenant. You do this and you'll live. You do this and you'll be blessed. We're under a covenant of grace. Thank goodness that the law's been satisfied. He said, if you obey me, all these blessings will come upon you. But if you don't, and they knew these things, but they forgot these things, and they would go right back into idolatry, right back into oppression. What does this teach us? What should we learn from this? That because our Savior lives, he lives to make intercession for us. Who would have ever thought a man named Ehud? Some believe he was, no, I could show you on over in chapter 20. A lot of those from the tribe of Benjamin were left-handed. It said they could throw with a sling within a hair's breadth. I mean, they were very accurate, but what I understand is that it's not that this man was born left-handed, he was crippled in his right hand, and I could see that. We're, we're all cripples. We're all, there's something that defiles us and causes us to be weak, and this man is left-handed. So who gets the glory? He does. It's just like, I broke my arm several years ago, and they first thought when they went to repair my arm, they thought, well, they thought, I thought I was going to lose my arm. Now, I'm right-handed by nature. You know what I would have had to have done? I would have had to learn everything to do with my left hand. How to write, drive, whatever it would have been. And that's what this man did. He learned, he learned to use what God had given to him. Instead of saying, I can't, the Lord enabled him. Enabled him. Notice here where it says that it begins in, with the word and. This reveals that this is something that happens over and over and over again. When the deliverer dies, the children of Israel would do evil. But doesn't that sound familiar? But our Lord ever lives to make intercession for us. We need to be thankful that he lives. And again, reveals a natural course of action. Sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you, but boy, it sure likes to. Loves to. 
They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened, enabled this man Eglon, whose name means bull. He was the king of Moab. Then he gathered unto him two other tribes, the Ammonites and the Amalekites. And you remember where the Ammonites came from? Or the Ammon and Moab? They were the sons of the daughters of Lot. And the Amalekites, I think, were descendants of Esau. They were, they were not like those that came from Mesopotamia. These were close to them. These were blood relatives. They are all, they are all connected to Israel by blood. All these nations are a picture of our flesh. Moabite, Moab represents the power of the flesh. Amnon represents the passion of the flesh. And Amalek represents the persistence of the flesh. Boy, he's persistent, isn't he? He just, he won't quit. And what did the Lord allow to do? Here comes this king of Moab. And there's nothing you can do about it. If the Lord doesn't keep us, we're in a mess. He has to deliver us from ourselves, from our flesh, the passions of the flesh, the power of the flesh, the persistence of the flesh. You know what? It's like it's like Jacob and Esau. They they're that they're that close. They're born. They're twins. Look, brothers. And Esau always afflicting Jacob. When Abraham dies, Isaac and Ishmael. Both have the same father, they come to his grave. And you know when we're going to drop Esau off and Ishmael off? Not till we leave this world. He's not improving. <laughs> not improving. What did the king do? He didn't just come and then leave. He said, I'm going to set up my headquarters right here in the city of palm trees. The city of palm trees. Now, this has reference in Deuteronomy 34 3, and the south of the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, and Zor, has reference to Jericho. Now, you remember Jericho was the first city that was conquered when they came into Canaan, first city. That city's destroyed. He's not living in a city in Jericho, but he's living in that piece of property. You know whose piece of property that was, whose inheritance it was? It was the Benjamites. So you can see why Benjamin, Ehud, has hit, it bothered him. This man is, he's sitting, he's ruling, he's controlling what's rightfully ours. He sets up his headquarters. Where sin did abound, grace does much more abound. Sin wants to reign, it wants to stick up its ugly head, and it wants to rob you. It, you know what sin wants to do? It wants to control you. That's what Moab's doing right here, right here in the palm trees. When I, think, when I think about palm trees, I think about rest. I think about, you know, going down to the beach and the palm trees and the wind blowing. Just, he's, he's, just, he's just pampering his flesh. There's a reason he's fat spiritually. There's a reason. This was the first place that was conquered. 
Jericho represents all the victories that God would give them in the future. This is a part of Benjamin's lot. And they served this king for 18 years. I can see Eglon every time he went by. It just, that used to be ours. And they come in and take it. You know, Satan wants to take your joy. He wants to take your peace. He wants to rob you. That's what he did. That's what they did. They robbed. They didn't come ask for it. They just took it. But we see that the Lord did not leave them in this state. We don't know how long they had been crying out. God deliver us from this. We can't deliver ourselves. We are no match for ourselves. The more we try to subdue it, the worse it gets. He's always there. Always there mocking you. Here's how, he, here's how the flesh talks. I thought you was a child of God. I thought you said God loved you. Why is he letting you go through all this? If God loved you, he wouldn't let that happen. You ever heard that? That's the flesh. You know that man that, that's always talking and he never sleeps, he never rests? That's him. That's the one you see when you look in the mirror. You see him. Not an improving, as the world thinks. We have to be delivered. We have to be set free. You know, sir, in verse 15 it says, but. Verse 14, the children of Israel served Elong, the king of Moab, 18 years, but. When the children of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised him up a deliverer. And he always will. And he always does. Ehud's name means, I will be thanked. I will be praised. You remember what Benjamin named, Benjamin's name means? He was the son of Rachel, the brother of Joseph. I think this is ironic. His name means the son of my right hand. But he's left-handed. <laughs> the son of my right hand is the son of honor. But he's left-handed. Here it is in Judges chapter 20, verse 16. Among all this people, talking about the Benjamites, there were 700 chosen men left-handed, Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Like I said, some say that his right hand was crippled, and I could see that. I could see it withered, and he, and he couldn't use it. But say he was disabled. Oh, if he had his right hand, he'd be stronger. He'd be like almost all other men. But when a left-handed man fights a right-handed man, it seems to the right-handed man, it seems a little awkward. That's why in boxing they call him a southpaw. It seems just the opposite. He can't figure it out. He can't figure it out. God's strength is made perfect in weakness. 
All, listen, all God's children have weaknesses. What did Moses say? I can't talk too well. And what was David's weakness? They never even called him. When they invited all the seven other brothers, you know what his weakness was? He's too young. Remember what Saul tried to do? He tried to put his armor on David and said, now you go fight Goliath. He said, I've not proved these. You know what he used? He used what the Lord gave him. He used the sling. How is this man Ehud going to deliver the children of God? He'll make a dagger. Let me say this. We all have weaknesses. Some of us are stronger. Some of us are weaker. Some of us have, it's easier to have social skills with others, and some don't. Some are a little more shy and things like that. But the very thing thing that we think will be a hindrance may be the very thing that the Lord uses to teach us to trust him. I thought about the woman with the alabaster box. She had done what she could. She'd done what she could. Ever so often, the children of Israel <clears throat> were required to pay this tribute. And they would send the gift to Eglon with a group of men. Here these men are led by Ehud. They're going to go see the man. Pay the tribute, pay the taxes. Or, said the scripture says they took a present. But then it says, verse 16, but we don't see that he was told to make a dagger. Well, why didn't he make one? He goes in some way. He makes a dagger about 18 inches long. And he made it for a specific purpose. The Lord's going to use this man and this instrument to deliver Israel. This, this is how it goes through the whole book of Judges. <laughs> you know how they deliver them one day? They take a, a tent spike and they drive it through a man's temple and nail his head to the ground. You go, hmm. God's ways are not our ways. They never are. But he made him a dagger. And he's going to hide the dagger to conceal the dagger on his right thigh because he goes in there. You know they're going to check this man. You don't just go into the presence of the king. And the very thing they would do would tap his left side. Well, he don't have no, he doesn't have anything, Jeff. He's all right. You can let him in. They didn't know. They couldn't see. They don't understand. But get this. God had a message for them. I pray this morning that God has a message for every one of us. It's a message. This message was specifically for Eglon. And the Lord has a message specifically for each one here. No one would think to check his right side. Like I said, it's not said why he made the dagger. 
we can assume that maybe he was led by the Spirit of God to do this. So they take this tribute, they go to Iklon, and he takes this dagger. I can see him when he straps it on. You know, he don't have it all figured out. How am I going to be able to get the king alone? You know he has bodyguards around. I don't know. You know, it's like this, we walk by faith. We don't have to have it all figured out. We walk in the light we have. But they take this tribute, and he's going to destroy his enemy. This dagger. What is this set for? It's a picture of the word of God. It is a two-edged sword piercing to the dividing, dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God will, will reveal your thoughts. The word of God will reveal your motives. The word of God's going to reveal this man for what he is. Did you know the same gospel that melts wax will harden cement? God may use the gospel this morning to soften your heart, or he may leave you alone and just let you become harder. Our flesh knows that we are crippled. And we know that we are convinced that we have no power to overcome the flesh. That's what we have to learn. Isn't it in religion, men think, well, I've, I can do something. I can, I can make my flesh submissive. No. Eglon, this fat man, he was trusting in his own self-righteousness. He was serving his own belly. And you know what he did? He craved the appetites of the flesh. This condition that he had. would hinder him from being able to defend himself. His condition pictures him as being satisfied in his state of idolatry. Isaiah 6, 9 and 10, And he said, Go and tell the people, Hear you indeed, but understand not. Hear, but understand not. And see indeed, but perceive not. Make the ear of this people fat and make their ear heavy and shut their eyes lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and be converted and be healed. Make their ears fat. This man is a dead man walking. As I thought about his condition, his weight, his fatness would make him slow to understand the scriptures. Being a Moabite, he had to have been exposed at one time to the scriptures. But men don't want to hear. They don't want to, they can't under, they, you know, a man can't understand. I can understand why you can't understand. 
And if you do understand, I know the only reason you can understand is he gives you the ears to hear. I thought maybe he's not able to see his feet. He's so heavy, easily to fall. The fatness refers to his state of delusion. He was at ease. His name means bull. He's fattened for the slaughter. He that thinks he stand, take heed, lest he fall. So they bring the present to Ehud. In verse 18, and when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But watch this. But he himself turned again from the quarries. Most believe that Ehud went with those who came with him from Israel. They're going back the way they come. They come to this place of the quarries. What I can understand, the quarries were a place where these people would, you know, quarries, you dig out rocks, and they would fashion these rocks into these idols for the Moabites. And you, you just imagine Ehud. When he sees, when he sees this, when he sees the, the depth that these people have fallen into idol worship, it does something to him. An example of this, I remember, never forget it. When we went to Mexico, Cody Groover, he had seen this site many times, I know, but he had taken us down to the city of Merida, which is a pretty good-sized city. Merida is about a million people. And we go down, and right in the middle, you can imagine, right there in the middle was this huge building, this Catholic church. And on the outside... You couldn't hardly get in for the people sitting there begging. They were either crippled, they were either blind, they had some handicap, they're just begging for an arm. And when you walk in that building, all you can see is statues lined up on either side and all this gold and silver. And I'll never forget Cody Groover, he walked down just just a sobbing. While these people are out here starving, and those people in there are fat in their religion. I think when, we don't know, when he it says when he went to the quarry, he said, you boys just go on back. He's not told anybody what he's going to do. He's not revealed the secret. He said, y'all just go on back. I, I, I've got to work, I've got to go see the king about something. You think about it, I gotta go, I'm going to see the king. I'm going on purpose. I'm going on purpose. He sent the people on back. In verse 19, And he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal, and he said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king. This is just between me and you. This is, this is a secret. And he thought, well, oh, this must be special. He, he's got something special for me. Oh, yeah, he's got something special, okay. And all that stood by him went out from him. They all, king says, y'all just leave. I tell you, when God begins to do something for you, he's going to get you alone. It's just you and him. Just you 
and him. You can be in a whole company of people, and it's just you and him. You know how he works. That Samaritan woman, he got her alone. And he hood came unto him, as, and he was sitting in a summer parlor. What this was, it may have been up on a roof and covered, I can see covered with the palm trees and the breezes were just blowing. If he had a drink, he was probably sitting there with a drink beside everything. He's just taking it easy. Does this not describe the world? Don't have a concern in the world. This is how it usually happens. I remember about the man in Babylon. He said, while he's drinking and he's partying, there's a handwriting on the wall which said, you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. You'll be dead before sunrise. That was a message for that man. And he's there in his summer parlor. And he heard said, I have a message from God. You think about that just for a second. I have a message from God. You know what? I don't know what you need, but I know one who does. He knows exactly what every one of us need, everyone. And he rose up out of his seat. In verse 20, and he hood came. And him sitting in summer parlor, which he had for himself alone, he had said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose. He gets up. Got to hear this. Got to stand to his feet. And he had put forth his left hand, and he took the dagger from him in his right hand and thrust it into his belly. You said, well, he never said something. Nothing. Oh, yeah, he said something. He said something with that dagger. And it did the job. This man, this thing that was oppressing him, is dead. Dead. Eglon was a very religious man. When he was told that he had a message from God, he stands up because Ehud used the name Elohim. Now this name may be applied in many ways. It can be applied to a judge, a magistrate, a king, an idol, or even God himself. Eglon thinks he's talking to him. I've got a message for you, king, for you. He got his attention. He thought that Ehud, here's what we think. We think we're going to be, if the Lord has anything to say to us, surely he's going to praise us. That's what we think. It's, it's a word of, to our heart to, our, to build up our ego. And that's what he thought. He thought it was good news. Let me tell you, the gospel is good news. But not to everybody. To God's people, it's a savor of life. Paul, you mean we're going to be delivered? Yeah. Boy, that's good news. Not by our strength? No. That's, that's bad news. It's a savor of life unto some, but it's a savor of death unto others. It doesn't mean life to them. It means death. Let me just read to you what Brother Tim said. 
Ehud here is a picture of a gospel preacher. They are called in other places. James and John was called the sons of thunder. He said they are armed for the kill. They have strapped to their thigh a weapon of mass destruction. The message is designed for the salvation of sinners and is delivered with a loving heart for men. The message is also born of indignation against the idols of men. God won't share his glory with anybody, especially not fatty Eglon. Men love to worship themselves, and the message is both life and death. And here's what old Ralph Barnard, he was what I understand, he was, he was unique, <laughs> to say the least. Let me give you an example. I'm going to give you a couple examples. They said one time that uh, some guy, they asked, he was in a meeting, somebody was asked to stand up and pray and the guy so-called prayed. And when Barnard got up to preach, he just said, that's the worst prayer I've ever heard pray. He lit that place up. And that man, he wanted to fight him. And Barnard said, well, if you apologize, I'll forgive you. <laughs> but he was a man that the Lord used. He was not, he was not, he wasn't, you weren't going to put him in any mold, but the Lord used him. Here's what Barnard said. If I'm going to introduce you to my God, I'm going to have to kill yours first. That's a powerful statement. And that's a fact. That God has to be killed. That flesh, it ha the flesh has to die. Crucify the flesh with its affections and lust. It has to die. You don't improve it. You don't reform it, it has to die. Men have no control over what the word of God does to them. It is a well-placed dagger that cannot be removed. Because if we could, we'd like to remove it. We'd like to, you know, you didn't see an example, I'd like to wish I'd never heard what I heard this morning. That dagger can't be removed. Do you know there's things you will remember if you don't know God for all eternity? All eternity. He said, you remember hearing that that morning? You, you remember hearing God speak? Oh, he was just a man. No, Lord spoke. It will prick your heart. Either it will prick your heart and make you call on God for salvation or it will prick your heart and kill you to the things of grace. And that, that dagger revealed what was inside of that man. And Eglon falls down dead. And they wait. They don't just rush in to check on Ehud. I mean, Eglon and we don't know how long it takes before them to go in there and find him. And I guarantee when they found him, it was an ugly mess. Then he had escaped, verse 26, and tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped in Zarethath. And he's not done yet. 
And it came to pass when he came that he blew a trumpet. Jeffrey, I ain't heard that trumpet in a long time. I know we've not heard it for at least 18 years. You know what trumpet I believe this is? I believe it's that Jubilee trumpet. All the debts are paid. We're going, we're going to be set free. <laughs> you know how the gospel sets people? You know how men are set free by the hearing of the gospel? The debt's been paid. You can go free. Did I really hear it? And he blew a trumpet in Mount Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mount, and he before them, and he said unto them, Follow after me. For the Lord had delivered your enemy, the Moabites, into your hands, and they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan, where they would try to get away toward Moab, and suffered not a man to pass over. They ain't a one of them escaping. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor. How did Israel defeat those people? With an 18-inch dagger and a man blowing a trumpet? And they defeat 10,000 men, valiant men, fat men, huge men, prominent men, yeah? So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. You know what Canaan is? In Hebrews, it said it's rest. They could not enter in because of unbelief. It's, you know what Christ is? He's our rest. Spiritual Rest. Why can't we rest because our soul's in turmoil? Eglon thought he was resting, didn't he? he I could see him maybe he was in there laid back. And just, I ain't thinking about nothing. But he's going to be dead. Things are going to change. The day when God begins to deliver his people, he sets them free. And when it's done, when like when we get done reading this, what we went through this morning and what we say, God did it. God did that. Those people followed Ehud. They followed him. We follow, you know who we follow? We follow Christ. Verse 31, let me read that. We'll try to look at that next week and maybe get in on down in chapter 4. Only one verse is mentioned about this man, this judge. And after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, which slew of the Philistines 600 men with an ox goad. Everybody know what an ox goad is? It's a piece of rod about eight feet long, and one end of it's got a real pointed stick on it. And if you're working an ox or something, you take it and you poke it, give him to move. And you know what the other end was made out of? It had a head-like shape on it so he could get the dirt off his plow. You know why he wanted to get the dirt off the plow? Because that mud would stick to it, and he wanted that plow to sink real deep in the ground. Delivered him with an ox goat. <laughs> he killed 600 men. We're going to see Samson killed, I can't remember how many, with the jawbone of an ass. <laughs> you go, man, them, just seem, them seems like funny stories. They're not stories. 
These are pictures of how God saves sinners. And if God doesn't deliver you, you'll perish. Lord willing, we'll pick up our next sentence.